Welcome to Peeve's Gap Fest, a chapter-by-chapter, page-to-screen analysis of the Harry Potter series. I'm Sarah Day. I'm James. And I'm Meeks. And today we are analyzing chapter 15, The Forbidden Forest. This is about an hour and 41 minutes and 52 seconds into the film through an hour and 50 minutes and four seconds into the film. This is actually where Neville was cut as well as a couple other characters, as we enter the eerie Forbidden Forest. Before we start before we start gabbing, we wanted to give a quick spoiler warning because we do use our vast knowledge of the Wizarding World to compare the page to the screen, and we may gab about moments that happen later in the books or the films. You've been warned, Dickle Firsties. Before we begin, a message from the Daily Prophet. It's Quidditch season, and planning for faster, efficient hydration is essential. We don't want anyone falling off their brooms from dehydration. Liquid IV has you covered while you prep during wood speeches, power through the game, and recover in the common room afterwards. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of traditional potions. I have tried the grape... The sea berry and the cherry. And I would say sea berry and cherry are my absolute favorite. Mm-hmm. I'll have to try the cherry. I haven't tried that one yet. I was kind of like hoping that was like the best one. So I'm saving it for last. Because <laughs> compared to lemon lime, I was like, I'm not sure if like that would be like a disappointment or something. So I'm hoping it's really good. Because it's the last it one. It is really good. And <laughs> I like how like saturated the flavor is of liquid IV. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel it's, all watery. It's right. It's very strong. Like the grape one was a really like powerful, like just flavor profile in like a big cup of water. Like I had I think it was like forty ounce bottle and it didn't feel like diluted or watery at all. It just was like flavor. Bam! Yes, I agree. And I love a good flavorful water. Yes, I do too. Well, and it's nice if something's really flavor-packed, you know, just as is, because then you can always water it down per your taste rather than you having to, like, use double of the concentrate or something. Exactly. Well, one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than any other potion and comes in 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Made with premium ingredients and contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Liquid IV is non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Liquid IV believes that Equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world and has partnered with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code GABFEST to at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GABFEST at liquidiv.com. 
Welcome back, listeners. Uh, James, do you have any feedback for us this week? I am glad to say that I always have feedback for you this week. <laughs> so this feedback comes from Haley Hobbs from Facebook. She is saying that uh, she wanted to kind of like go in on our discussion of like basketball and golf. So she's saying regarding basketball versus golf, and the UK listeners can probably speak to this better but golf has long been a favorite sport in the UK, whereas basketball is definitely an American-originated sport. My state has an important connection to it. Not that it isn't played overseas, of course, but yeah, I can understand why Wood would, ha, she says, have more of an understanding of what golf may be, but I never would have thought to make the distinction without your combo unimportant mm -hmm. side note sean biggerstaff was definitely a childhood crush after this movie yeah i think we all well at least meigs and i agree yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and we did have quite a little discussion uh in the comments of that post on our facebook page so listeners go and join our facebook group and leave your comments on the, this is when I had a problem with Wood pulling out the golf ball to throw to practice Harry catching the snitch right after he was like, what's basketball? Um, I stand by my statement that I still think it's silly that he doesn't know what basketball is, but he's throwing around golf balls. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. I didn't I can't believe I didn't notice that until you pointed it out. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody would have noticed that until she pointed it out, which is why having these conversations are so fun. Yes, I can't be the only one. So listeners, if you also notice that, go to the Facebook group. <laughs> uh, but Meeks, do you have a feedback for us? I do. I have um, another email from Crate Dragon. In this chapter, Harry asks Oliver Wood if anyone has ever died from a bludger, and Oliver says not at Hogwarts. This, to me, suggests that in the professional league where they play in the World Cup that there have been deaths in the games. So um, this is about chapter 11 when we covered Quidditch. Um, and then um, Crate Dragon goes on to say a Quidditch series would be a spin-off series that I would love to see. Do you all agree? Thanks. Oh, well, spin off queen. No, what yes. do you say? Yes. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> I, of course. Oh, yes. They could literally just call it Quidditch. Oh my gosh. Can of course they Ted, can. Can it be Ted Lasso style, but about Quidditch? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes, obviously. Now yes. I have to okay. go watch <laughs> Ted in. Lasso so I can understand that reference. Oh my gosh. You just have to go watch Ted Lasso just to watch Ted Lasso. It's a beautiful show. I have been hearing very good positive reviews about Basically, it. Basically, so the main through. character, he goes in, he doesn't, he's not like super knowledgeable about soccer or football. And he goes in and starts coaching this team. And everybody's like, why are you the one coaching? But he's so good with people. In addition to that, he's an American that goes to the UK mm -hmm. to coach. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so it, it, there's a lot of humor just around that. Yeah, and it's but like it's a, a beautiful feel good. story. Yeah, because yeah. he he just like makes 
the team feel really good, even though nobody had believed that he'd be able to make a difference before. And so it's also a comedy. (laughs) So it's, it's feel good. It's funny. It's just great. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I would love a Quidditch spinoff series just because uh, I am a big fan of the uh, video game Quidditch World Cup. And it's, Basic, like it's basically a little game that introduces you to the world of Quidditch and you start off in Hogwarts playing as one of the houses. Uh, and it's really awesome because like it, you get to know some of the students there. It's Harry it's Harry Potter's The Seeker for Gryffindor. The Seeker is like your guide oh. into the world of Quidditch. And so Harry Potter's The Seeker for Gryffindor. Draco Malfoy's The Seeker for Slytherin. Cedric Diggory is the, is the Seeker for... Uh, Hufflepuff and Cho Chang interestingly enough is the seeker for Ravenclaw and so they they guide you and you meet all the like the you meet all the team members and they show you how to like play the thing and then once you've kind of figured out how to play it you go in and like once you know all the rules you go in and play the house cup and then once you win the house cup you get tickets to go Hmm. see the world cup and that's when you get to choose a world cup team Oh. and play as the world uh, play as the as one of the countries and so like there was japan and germany oh. and australia and like all of these <laughs> like all of these awesome little teams bulgaria was of course one of them with victor creme on them uh, on the team of course uh but yeah. like france uh england usa like all all of these like teams are on there and like you got to choose your favorite team and face off against them and then win the world mm-hmm. cup with the team that you chose. Uh, so I loved that game to death and uh, I played it very, very fervously when I was a kid and I returned mm-hmm. back to it when I was an adult. I, I got an emulator to be able to play it again and, and, and all that stuff. But, seeing all those like moving branches and seeing that kind of play out in like a maybe like a tv show format spin-off format would be yeah awesome because then you get to like meet characters like ludo bagman and like all these other characters that are yeah. really heavily set in quidditch and they get to grow maybe a little bit more into those areas but yeah we need to um give some justice to ludo bagman mm, yes Book readers, you'll have to stay tuned to book four to find out who we're talking about. (laughs) Well, tonight we are talking about chapter 15, The Forbidden Forest. We start the chapter with Filch taking the duo to McGonagall. And I say duo because in the book, it was only Harry and Hermione who got caught. But they stumble upon... Well, McGonagall has Neville, who had come to warn them, and everyone receives detention, and Gryffindor is now down 50 points each, which is just a complete blow to Harry and Hermione and Neville. But before we get into that kind of repercussions, what did you feel about the change in this portion of the film? Because... Like I when it started to go into last week, uh, they completely just cut Neville out of this scene and they completely cut Filch out of this portion of the book as well. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I just say how sad it is, first off, for like 
Neville to do something brave like that to warn his friends that he believes are going to be in so much trouble and just like get caught in the middle of trying to do like a very brave thing which is like against his like nature in the first place and then to have it go back and McGonagall come up with this rational solution to the entire thing because she doesn't even believe that there was a dragon involved because why would there be she wouldn't have known but like then neville just hearing her say that and it going like him dawning on that and being like i was like i fell for like a little trick or a little thing and just being so heartbroken and just like uh, I just died inside when I read that, and I was just like, "No, Neville, it's not true. You were, you, you're, you were doing the right thing. You just, no." Ugh. So I don't know. It just makes me sad inside to see that. I just, ugh. Mm-hmm. which you don't get to feel in the movie, which is probably what you're like talking about, anyways. But and I think it's a travesty that Neville didn't get as much screen time as he should have, and really neville plays a bigger part in a lot of these stories than than we give him credit for and he's kind of really that fourth character that mm-hmm. is n- normally to the side learning from these three on a consistent level every year uh and they that he has a lot of input later that contributes to a lot of his actions in the later books uh that that we just don't get to recognize a lot of, we don't get to admire that all that much. Like everybody loves Neville in of itself. When you watch it from the movie perspective, Neville's like one of those great characters. Everybody loves his transformation. Um, the actor was chosen really well, but we're really only seeing about 50% of what the actual character is all about. And so, mm-hmm when you when you go through and reread these sections of the story and realize that he had so much going on and compare it to the movies and realize that so much was left out that you kind of are a little bit disappointed that they did that they did him to like that because he yeah he's not the tree the three trio like he's not the main character he doesn't go off and like do adventures with them all the time but like he does some pretty important stuff to the like to the point where he goes in and does a very heroic thing in book seven like he's responsible for killing the last horcrux sorry guys spoilers i'm just saying whatever (laughs) uh but he's responsible for killing that last horcrux and without that harry wouldn't have been able to kill voldemort so it's i don't know yeah i i really wish that they had maybe given him a little bit more time to grow and develop as a character and mm-hmm. and kind of be that f- fourth persona with that learns from them because it was there we all like he, they it was there in the movie there were bits and portions of it and there was even a big part in the deleted scene where it was taken out uh a part of his character arc but they didn't really want to put focus on that i guess yeah i mean i completely agree i don't know how much i can add on to that i think you said it all really well it's interesting that you called neville the fourth character james because 
Well, and I think it goes back also to what I always say about the fact that they now have the completed story to go off of, and they didn't at the time. And they kept replacing some of these scenes. For this particular one, they replaced Neville with Ron, which Mm -hmm. at the time makes sense because they don't want to confuse you. The trio is the trio. But knowing the full story now, you do know how big of a character Neville becomes, especially with the fact that it could have been him instead of Harry. And like you said, Mm -hmm. he is the one that defeats the last Horcrux. So it's it's just shocking to go back and re-read this book and re-watch the film um, and see how big of a character he was in the book. And then it, it kind of makes sense that he has these important roles later on. Um, and then you go to the films and you, it, it's kind of lacking. And I think it was two weeks ago that you were talking about this arc that he has, especially in mm-hmm. this first one. And this is just another example of seeing that growth from him that gets cut. However, he is a part of the uh, loss of points here. Mm -hmm. And I think moving on to the kind of backlash that they receive, he kind of takes it the worst. Um, I know that Harry feels really guilty and Hermione's even trying to keep her head down. Oh, poor Um, Hermione. But you can see that Neville's kind of just like quivering almost. (laughs) They, I think all three of them took it in in different ways of like different levels of like trauma, like being traumatized in a sense. Mm. Like Hermione's probably one of those people that have never done something wrong. And so she's done something wrong and all she can feel is like shame. She's not upset. She's not disappointed. Like she's not like sad or like overwhelmed or anything like that. She's just shame. Like she's, mm-hmm. it's pure shame vibes coming from her because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, she can't even look McGonagall in the face. She can't even like say anything. She's, she just, she knows she did something wrong. She was caught. She's losing points. She's just taking it as it is. Uh, Harry, it feels guilty for involving other people. Neville was trying to do the right thing, but ended up being chastised uh, and getting in trouble even more. And, that's traumatizing in of itself because you realize I was trying to do something good, but then I still did something bad. Like Mm -hmm. this is a kid that's throughout the entire year. This is a kid who's been going through things and not being able to perform up to par. He hasn't found his, he hasn't found his little niche. He hasn't found the thing that he's good at yet. Uh, which I mean will come later. I'm very sure. Um, when we when we talk about this more, but he hasn't found anything he's good at. Everybody keeps criticizing him. Uh, he's trying to find that inner person where he he can go and do something, and it turns out well for himself, but it doesn't happen. And so this is like one of those moments where he's like, "I know this about myself. I'm fearful. I'm afraid." But my friends are in trouble. I need to go warn them. And he goes and warns them, knowing he's breaking the rules. And then he gets caught, and it still messes up, and it still blows in his face. And so that's why he's probably so upset about this, is because he can't get a break. The poor dude is constantly just... Yeah. Constantly just running into obstacle and challenge after challenge after challenge. And he, he can't see how he can 
uh what get a win. Get, he he can't get a win he can't he he can't get where he wants to be as a person no, which is frustrating no. i'm sure throughout this few days in the book so it's a few days throughout this punishment on themselves sort of harry promises himself just to stay out of it from now on he's just gonna do his studies play quidditch and not worry about other stuff around him however he kind of he's put to the test with this new promise to himself when he overhears quarrel quivering and pleading to someone but who might that be so this is a very interesting prospect but I all I see is time to like deepen the world in this section. Like obviously we didn't get this in the movies. It was a very quick, rapid thing in the movie. Mm-hmm. But when we when we talk about the TV show and its potential, all I saw was TV, 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 TV. Like it's just like this is an opportunity to expand the story, expand the an episode, expand character growth, like getting to see Harry struggle, getting to see Harry go from super popular kid to not so popular kid. Uh, everybody finds out that he, that he lost 150 points that the, even the Hufflepuffs and the Ravenclaws now hate him. Like, mm-hmm. like, Oh my goodness. Like all I, I saw was, <laughs> <laughs> all I saw was this neat, like this is TV potential like this is the stuff that tv can do right yeah that's how i felt too you get the sense when they're in trouble that like that sucks that they lost the points but seeing all of this play out dare i say in a montage i feel like Mm -hmm. would be (laughs) would be really fun to watch and that's you know they have a lot more room to do that in a tv show but um i mean i like all of the details of the kids like calling harry the seeker and you know, instead Ugh. of saying his name oh, anymore, yeah. like those sorts of details. Brutal. <laughs> and also, I forgot that already in this book, well, I mean, we're almost at the end of this book, but I always forget that it's already in the first book that we see the um, the hourglasses for the house points. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's important to show that because that's cool. That's like a really cool feature of Hogwarts. And we yeah, film, so. Well. There's lots that we don't get in the films. Like their detention is actually sent to them in a letter. Uh, whereas in the film, it's pretty much they get in trouble and then it, it looks like they it just feels go like right the into next their detention. Day. Yeah. Not even like the next minute almost. Um, so they've received their letters explaining their detention. This is about two weeks later. Um, and so they. Which two weeks later? Is weird. It's such a long time for their detention to be. <laughs> like, or were they just like waiting for something horribly, <laughs> awfully dangerous to be happening? So. Before? Like, yeah. what? <laughs> like, if she, I feel like it would make more sense for the plot. To, I mean, it's absolutely atrocious that this is what their attention detention is. Obviously. But we all know that Hogwarts, with Hagrid and Fang. Yeah, but like Hogwarts doesn't care about safety. Obviously. No. So it would have made more sense if, like, the next night after they get their detention or they get in, excuse me, they get in trouble, the next night a horrible thing is happening in the forest and they have to go. Like, to me, that would make more sense than waiting two weeks and coming up with this awful plan. So, anyways, I feel like that's really weird. Did 
I never got detention. Did either of you ever get detention? Like, does it? How does it work in real life school? I'm trying to think if I ever got it either. I think I don't think I've ever gotten detention. We're all good. We're all good kids. A couple here. of Ravenclaws <laughs> and Hufflepuffs over well, here. Listeners, if you ever got detention, let us know how long it took for <laughs> the time you got into trouble to when you actually completed your detention. Isn't it like after school? Right. Like you have to like after yes. school. It's like within it's after that school. week for sure. Yeah. Definitely not two weeks later. <laughs> okay. No. Well, maybe that's one thing night. the film got right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Please, listeners. Our, our bad listeners, please tell us what detention is like. <laughs> I mean, what else am I supposed to say? I mean, there can be detention for any reason. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I needed that laugh so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, Filch uh, brings the group to Hagrid. Uh, so now in the in the film, this is now Ron, Harry, Hermione, and Draco. Yes. Uh, and then of course in the books, Ron is replaced with Neville. Um, and they in the books split up. Um, and they have a different combo beforehand. And then of course Draco pulls a prank on Neville, and they then have to switch. And then we also are introduced to two other centers before we're even introduced to Forenzi. And again, completely cut from this scene. And I think that's a real shame because we're introduced to the centaurs sort of um, Trelawney teaches what? Divination. Thank you. The centaurs version of divination, which is really fascinating. That was definitely a thought I was thinking when I was reading it. I was like, this is a whole branch of lore that we're not even like introduced to in the movies. Uh, because like, I mean, they don't even have the time, I'm sure. But at the same time, like the centaurs are a very kind of important group in many things going forward. That it's kind of sad that we didn't get to like see much of them go in the movies going forward. Because I mean for friends in of itself just friends they showed him he showed up he played a part in the movie yay he saved harry but that's it like he doesn't even come back but he's like never to be seen again he he is like cast out from his from the group to become a teacher at hogwarts because dumbledore asked him to for various different reasons but like we don't get to see him all we get to see next from the from the centaurs in the movies is that they be they're a band of wild wild men attacking dolores umbridge right they're not even sophisticated like they show very sophisticated centaur with a like thought process and everything to 
no word centaurs they get mad and upset at dolores on bridge which i mean for good reason but like they're they're acting like animals or creatures they're not even acting like beings which they are i think they're classified as beings with house elves and wizards they're classified as intelligent life mm-hmm. and yet in the movies that that's not even the case and so like they play an important role in the books and they're a very sophisticated very intelligent people but we don't we get one snippet of it never to be seen again yeah they play a huge role frenzy especially because like you said he's cast out to become a teacher they are also show up to dumbledore's funeral they fight in the final battle of hogwarts Mm -hmm. and like you said they're just reduced to this one scene of frenzy and then wild beast in book five yeah i think it's as usual a big disservice to the larger wizarding world and then the smaller plots as well but i mean it just they just cut out so much from like building up the world lore um and they don't need to like why it just again like it it wouldn't take that long to just add these scenes and to give the centaurs like a little bit more of something at least but you know there's a lot of things <laughs> where they mm-hmm. get the fin. So hopefully just with the TV show, they add in a whole thing. I'll watch a whole show about centaurs. Yeah. That'd be really interesting. <laughs> or like the Forbidden Forest, like a show about the Forbidden Forest. A little well, mini series. Yeah. Documentary yeah, series then... of the oh like <gasps> National Geographic of the Forbidden Forest. Okay. That is amazing. So many ideas spinning in my head for how to make this happen. <laughs> And we get somebody, how about Professor Kettleburn? Yeah. The professor for Care of Magical Creatures before Hagrid steps in. Yeah. Yeah. Have him go and do like the National Geographic. And he's just going around saying, hey, this is the Forbidden Forest. And this is (laughs) this area. And this is this area. And this is where these creatures live. The David Attenborough of the Wizarding World. Yes. But funny. We need to make it comical. Oh, he's. Uh, but can can David Attenborough play Kettleburn? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we're we're talking about a guy who loves magical creatures so much he's missing a hand. Yeah. Well, any other thoughts about our time in the Forbidden Forest before I pose one last question to you guys? Um, I love the whole um scene between Hagrid and the centaurs like when Hagrid's getting frustrated with the centaurs I want to see that so desperately um the amount of times that they say Mars is bright tonight that might be my favorite quote from the book from from this chapter I mean Mars is unusually um, bright tonight (laughs) just seeing like how frustrated Hagrid gets it would be so funny to see that like actually play out And especially, like I said moments ago, the predictions that they talk about in this very chapter that come to fruition, like there is a war coming. It's not until, you know, the last couple of books, but. Oh, I finally get it. (laughs) Mars Um, war. Okay. I'm dumb. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And there's. There's some other things that they say, too, that 
it all it all happens and it all comes to fruition in these books, uh, much like Tr- Trelawney's predictions really come true throughout the series. It's just fun to like revisit it. So before you, before we go into the next portion, I do want to touch on how uh, how we are able to get a more expansive look into the forest scene. Like we're getting to see the forest; they're they're experiencing all these natural sounds. Like it, this is a great opportunity for us to be able to define the forest as its own like little entity in media for when it because we're going to be revisiting this forest almost every year uh going forward so if they do it right they could set up the forest as its own like little character in the tv show uh and kind of show the characteristics of what the forbidden forest is all about and and kind of just go into like how how it's full of life and how it's got all these different little aspects into it and could be a little bit horrific in some areas but also like natural beauty like the unicorn and all that stuff and so I, I think uh, I think it would be very cool for everybody to experience the Forbidden Forest as a recurring character, quote unquote, of sorts, because we can keep going back to it and exploring more of it and seeing more of its like more of its attributes, which I think would be fun. But on top of that, I really think the movie did a really good job of keeping what it needed to uh even though they replaced neville which is a travesty and i would have loved to see the red sparks come up like neville just sending up red sparks and haggard being so mad at malfoy and all that stuff but what we did get i think was pretty pretty okay well and and like the politics of the centaurs especially that's like the only one that we like really see information about but it like they have their own political system it seems like not necessarily with yeah. like how we think of it he- or how it's mm-hmm. structured here but um you can tell that they have strict rules about their like conduct their community conduct and yeah so it would be really interesting to see more um information about like you know kind of the quote-unquote political nature of the different you know, species that are in the Forbidden Forest because it's like a whole society. Right. And like, are the centaurs the highest of the totem potem and mm-hmm. to- the highest on the, the totem, totem pole in the totem potem, mm-hmm. <laughs> the <laughs> highest of the totem pole in the Forbidden Forest? Mm-hmm. Um, but as James was talking about how Harry returns, it reminded me of a page in the Harry Potter, the unofficial Harry Potter companion by Aloha Mora podcast. On page 107, they have a whole special feature on Mars is Bright Tonight. Hmm. Um, And so the predictions of the centaurs. And one of the um, predictions or one of the lines that the centaur says is the forest hold many secrets. And then every time Harry enters the forest in the series, he encounters another secret. Time turners, Gwarp, Harry's own death. Um... And all of those things are in the Forbidden Forest. So Aragog, the spiders. Another, yeah, and just another example of how this conversation between the centaurs is just all sorts of foreshadowing. Dang, look at that! Mm-hmm. Yeah, Crazy. I like that too. I do like in the in the scene when Hagrid is like, 
he just like tells them that's a centaur and Hermione says we'd noticed Hermione said faintly I like that. <laughs> like I think yeah. that little lines like that are cute how do you feel about how they adapted the portion of Harry stumbling across the we we know is Quirrell uh drinking the unicorn blood this scene is one of my peeve pleasure salute section so I'm not gonna answer <laughs> is was it was it Quirrell drinking the blood or was it him giving Voldemort the opportunity to drink the blood I always visioned it being Quirrell was drinking the blood and Voldemort was getting it through him because he's they're kind of one and the same at this point in time yeah but as I was reading the book today he's it's it, it gave me the impression that he was walking weird like he was walking more beast-like and that felt that feels like it would be more of like Voldemort taking control so that he could drink the blood and like that does stuff to Quirrell so that's probably like like why Quirrell doesn't like it or something but I imagined it was Voldemort drinking the blood himself and not quarrel because i don't know that two head thing that two faces on one head thing kind of throws me off yeah anyways that's just one of my like curious things i don't know well i, I think yeah. it, i think it, i think personally it was voldemort because of just how menacing it was i don't think it would have been quarrel being menacing i feel like voldemort i feel like voldemort was asking for control at the beginning of the chapter Mm -hmm. And Quirrell gave in and said, okay, fine, you can have control again because Voldemort needed that life-sustaining blood from the unicorn. So mm -hmm. Quirrell has to give control over to Voldemort every once in a while. Well, they come back together and Ferenzi hands Harry back off to Hagrid. And they return to the school and Harry fills Hermione in on what happened. Um, I might be misremembering a little bit. And Ron. Finding the book in the film. Right. But when does Ron? Because first Harry finds his cloak folded back on his bed with a pinned note that says, um, just in case. Now I have a question for you guys. So so the actual order is is that frenzy gives him back he talks to hermione for a little bit but then he and hermione go back to the dormitory fill in ron and then he goes back to bed and finds the cloak got it so my question for you guys are do you think that dumbledore is pulling strings even now yes so <laughs> okay yeah go meeks first and then i can go on my rant oh no go ahead thingy go ahead Okay, my rant tangent thingy. I can't believe this has never even like crossed my mind before because someone found the cloak. Someone knows it belongs to Harry. Someone put the note there saying just in case. I don't see, I can't see it not being Dumbledore mm -hmm. because that's the only explanation that makes sense because how many people know Harry has an invisibility cloak in the first place. Not very many since Dumbledore was the one that had the cloak in the beginning and gave it to Harry. We find out later, guys, that Dumbledore gives <laughs> gives it to Harry. So don't mm -hmm. fret. It's in the books. Trust me. But like, 
I never even I I always imagined like they had gone back and gotten it at some point. You know what I mean? Like I never yeah. I never realized that someone just gave it to them. And so when I when I read that 5 minutes before we started the episode, listeners, by the way, that's how <laughs> fresh in my brain this is. When I read that, I was so thrown off because the only person that was able that would be able to do that and would be able to write that note would be Dumbledore. And so you're telling me Dumbledore knew this entire time? <laughs> like he knows that they've been poking around the like it changes my whole perspective on the entire thing. He on the entire story, even like I never even considered this as like a thing. I feel like Dumbledore found out later just by happy accident that this is what happened. But I guess I'm wrong because apparently he's a, a like the most observant man in the entire world because yeah. he knows what they're doing. He knows what's going on. He knows that Voldemort's out there. Like why? I just I'm flabbergasted at this point that he's just like, <laughs> just in case, Harry, like, you know, you never know if you're going to need this. Like, I knew you just weeks, threw you go down to the dungeons <laughs> in a few weeks. You're going to go down to the dungeons and face this guy. I also know, by the way, that Hagrid had a dragon and that you guys totally went up to the astronomy tower because that's the only reason why that was up there in the first place. Like, not like. At this point, Dumbledore is telling the story because Dumbledore knows every bit of the story because there's nothing that Dumbledore doesn't know. Well, and you, you later on in the books, we, we get the sense of the relationship Dumbledore and Hagrid have. And you kind of think maybe Hagrid already told Dumbledore what's happening and told him that Ron and Hermione and um, Harry have set it up with Ron's brother to take the dragon away. Um, and Dumbledore is just along for the ride. I'm like, sure, okay. Um, and probably, you know, was watching them. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised at this point. he can see through the cloak, right? I think he can see through the cloak. Dumbledore at this point can do anything. And yeah, he can do anything. I am, I am for, along for the ride now of saying Dumbledore is just... He can do anything. He just, he knows everything. There's nothing that Dumbledore doesn't know. Like, oh my gosh. Like, I just, I'm broken. I've been broken by this <laughs> chapter and I don't know what to think anymore. <laughs> it's just like, ah, it's frustrating beyond belief. But at the same time, like, it's cool that I can reread these books and still get these humongous reactions yeah. out of me. That's like what I'm taking out of this is like I am I've been rereading these books chapter by chapter and just loving every single one of them. The Mirror of Erised is my still my favorite chapter out of the entire book uh, for multiple reasons, as you need to go back and listen for to, to know. <laughs> um, but like. I just it these books have are what, 20 more than 20 years old. Yeah. And I've read them a handful of times. I don't even know how many times I've read them. And yet I'm still going through and reading them and still getting this type of reaction out of me every time I'm going through and reading it. Like, it's just 
boggling mind boggling that I get like this excited over this like this story but it I guess it just goes to show you how well written these books are and how amazingly like the dots are connected and how well big the world is and how much forethought went into these characters and all the stuff like just jk rowling just did it really well and only a few authors have been able to do that in my opinion right and so i think it's amazing that i can go through and read this and still have this random reaction that throws me in a tangent and just blows my mind so <laughs> that's what i'm taking that taking away from this is what that, that, that's my learning point is it's cool that these books are still so amazing that they yeah. can make you feel these things even after you know what's been going on and all that stuff. Or at least you thought you knew. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I agree. I So I had a different, I guess, experience with reading that last part, but I still completely agree with what you said as far as the way that jk rowling was able to write in so many details and like the stories so all of the stories are so comprehensive that every time you read you're gonna like see something different than what you read before and it's really fun to go back and reread these books uh, you know again 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 and like still have Mm -hmm. find something different or feel different or something something different every single time most definitely. And I think it's amazing that people can read these stories and get different perspectives in mm-hmm. themselves. Like you said, Meigs, like you had a different perspective just reading the chapter yourself. No one has to feel the way that I do about it. No one has to feel the way that you do about it. Like anybody can read these chapters and still get something different out of it, which is why yeah. it's such mm-hmm. a great story. You're not mm-hmm. supposed like the author's not making you feel one specific way every single time for every person that reads it. You're, they're the author's making it so you can feel whatever you want as you're reading it, which I think is pretty awesome. Yeah. Meigs, do you have a lightning ground before we get into our peevesy peevesy peeves? I sure do. <laughs> um, okay. I really want to see not even a montage, but just um, a scene of the, or multiple scenes, really. I want to see this throughout the series the kids practicing for exams. I feel like there's a lot of really like fun and interesting content with just them like trying to remember potion ingredients and trying to remember spells and stuff. And so I think that it's like, it brings in that real world feel into this fantasy world where they're the content that they are studying is obviously fantasy stuff, but they still have to do the same things that we all have to do when we're in school. And so I, mm-hmm. I uh, love the idea of the show uh, being able to, um, you know, offer those sorts of scenes or just like the kids sitting around, like trying to pr- like, f- do they use flashcards or like, what do they have magic <laughs> flashcards or, you know, what does that look like? So I really want to see that. Um, when Wood, when Harry goes to Wood and says that he's going to resign from the Quidditch team, I, two things about that little moment i mean it was just uh, like a short paragraph and the first thing is wood thunders and you know yells resign like what good would that do and i think that that you know just is another way to show wood's character 
in the books and then how flat he is in the films. So they want to see Will or Will uh, Wood screaming at Harry. But then also what I like about that little paragraph is it's like a it's a really perfect little example of Harry being a martyr and not in a way where he's like trying to get attention, but he always throughout the whole series, he always takes that approach of doing something to kind of punish himself or to take as much of the brunt as possible to try to protect other people. And in his mind, Mm. that's all he can think about is like, this is what I should do is I should just completely remove myself from the situation. And Wood thinks about the world in such a different way that he's like, what are you talking about? Like you doing that would be really harmful to Quidditch. So I think it's such a subtle way, but a perfect way to showcase how how differently Harry thinks than a lot of the people around him. Um, and Which interesting so- as you interesting as you bring that up because mm-hmm. that's going to be a very big, like a very big plot point going forward in many of the stories that we're going to read after this. Like, I had the same thought, James. When you said that, Meigs, I immediately thought of the fifth book where when he finds out that or they think that Voldemort might be possessing him and he's like, I've got to run away. It just, Remove it, myself from the situation. So that's mm-hmm. an interesting highlight that you make, Meigs, because that is going to be a very common factor in Harry's personality. Yeah. That's exactly how he thinks that mm-hmm. he's he's always going to do that every single time without fail. And that just shows his humility in a mm-hmm. sense. Like I have to, I am responsible. I have a sense of responsibility for this. I am going to do it. He's like, he's not, I have to do it because I'm Harry Potter or I have to do it because I'm the one he's, there isn't like, there's no pride in it at all. He's just like, I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. No one else should have to, no one else should have to suffer because I was I was involved kind of scenario. So it's going to be something I'm sure we will return back to on a very consistent basis, mm-hmm. seeing how that's going to be a very big, very big factor into it. I do want to be annoying and psychoanalyze him. I mean, is he <laughs> is because he's coming from a place of humility and like wanting to protect people. And I think that this is a, a common trait i guess that people have not not in the world of harry potter but just you know us regular people Mm -hmm. as muggles but it for him it comes from a place of humility but there are a lot of times and this kind of crops up in the book every once in a while and harry doesn't really understand it because of how his thought process is but he's coming from a certain place but he because he is like constantly thinking about oh i don't want other people to have to be burdened with this so i'm going to put this all on me he's making it about himself and it's that brings up conflict throughout the series not a ton of I mean it's not like people are getting into major arguments but there are times where you know like Hermione and Ron kind of have to snap him back into place because they're like that's not what needs to happen in this situation like you need to not kind of martyr yourself and so I just think that it's it's just interesting to see like a small example of baby Harry doing it at 11 years old, because that is such a theme um, and a recurring trait that he has where he's, he is trying to do what he feels is the best thing, but that's not necessarily what's actually the best thing for other people. Right. And 
I totally think psychoanalyzing is a very fun thing to do. So psychoanalyze away all the way, all the times you want. I am going to participate as much as you as much as you let me. But <laughs> I definitely see where you're coming from in that perspective. But this is why it, this this topic in of itself is such a very broad and discussed topic in every portion of media there is, because it comes down to is it okay or is it right in any way for somebody to want to be the martyr or is it better to let other people take the burden uh this is discussed in harry potter this is discussed in uh one of my favorites the the avengers infinity war because uh, you like uh, you have vision who wants to be the martyr but then like captain america who who brings a different perspective into it shows hey like i did that once too myself i totally see a different perspective on that and then he tries to convince vision of it all and kind of scenario like this is a it's a very broad topic and it doesn't i don't think it has one general right answer and which is why we we as a community keep going back to it in media every single time and find different faces of it all um as we're as we're kind of experiencing it because it, it it's a it's a good question to ask do i protect other people and just put it all on myself or do i allow other people into my life to take some of the burden knowing that it's going to affect them negatively in some ways so is Harry right? Is Harry wrong? We don't necessarily know, but that's part of the journey that we get to discover in the circumstances. Because sometimes I think, yeah, you should allow people to come in. But other times, depending on the circumstance, it might be better to be brushing it alone. But at the same time, I could be wrong about that. So, Yeah, it's an interesting topic to think about for sure. Um. Okay, I don't love when they're getting in trouble with McGonagall that she says four students out of bed in one night. I've never heard of such a thing. Like, are you joking? You've never heard of four students? I know. Like, that's a lie. Or you're a really bad professor and you don't know. Like, Quidditch though. teams don't get in trouble after they win. Yeah. You well, know? And even just like when uh, Molly Weasley mentions that her and Arthur like took a stroll at Moonlight or whatever. Um, mm. Like that's Molly and Arthur Weasley. Those They aren't party animals as far as we know. And there are a lot of like bad kids. So I well, you say four students and I automatically thought of James. The Marauders. Lincoln, yeah. Serious Peter. I was like, uh, I'm pretty sure you've caught four, all four of them out of bed at one point. Sure. Right. All right. So I think it's safe to say that she was just trying to make them feel a little worse. Yes. And I think it works because when I was 11 and I read that, it was like, oh my goodness, they're in so much trouble. And now when I read it, I'm like, that's bull spit. Um, okay. <laughs> when they're in the Forbidden Forest and Hagrid screams, get behind that tree to Harry and Hermione, who are right next to him when they see the danger i'm like hagrid you there is something slithering across a creature that is voldemort slithering across the ground something that <laughs> is like unheard of to be happening in the forest super super dangerous 
why are you screaming and drawing attention to you and two 11 year old children that are right next to you? And then two other 11 year old children that are just with a dog around the corner. Why are you screaming? I feel like he should have not screamed and just pushed them behind him or something. So I really don't love a lot of the professors in this school and the actions that they take. I think is that something you want to see the show kind of rectify because there's all those memes and discussions in the past about how the professors kind of suck when you think about it. Yeah. Um, Do you want the show to kind of remedy that in some way? Uh, If they do it in a hilarious way, then yes, of course. (laughs) I personally feel like it shows a little bit of, um, humanity in in some of them it shows that not all of them are perfect some of them are really good at what they do like mcgonagall is really great at transfiguration i would say she is maybe almost a master at it mm-hmm. uh, i don't think anybody comes close to her but like when she's she's got strengths but she also has flaws and without the flaws that you can't really justify a very connected character that people can connect to and relate with because they need those flaws in order to be able to grow as as a character and so are some of the things weird are some of them debatable yes i feel like very much so like somebody was letting harry just fly in the in in the quidditch thing like crazy and no one thought to get him down except for his teammates, I guess. But because like doesn't explain Madam Hooch trying to grab him. But at the same time, like in the heat of the moment, Hagrid making that call and yelling probably from his experience as a big half giant was maybe more of an intimidation tactic. But that's mm-hmm. just me headcanning it. So you made a good point about the Quidditch match, though. Um, like it, that's a great example. Would we want to see Madame Hooch just like a quick shot of her trying some to help him in some way or like flying underneath of him to catch him or something, just something quick that explains she is aware of the situation, um, but still lets Hermione save the day? Yes, definitely. Um, All right, showrunners, I hope you're listening. Yeah, seriously. Or just hire us. Don't you don't have to like end game. Listen to us right now. Just like hire us. Okay. Um. And then my last three little things are in that short section of Harry, Ron, and Hermione talking and downloading each other information to them after the Forbidden Forest. They're downloading information to Ron after the Forbidden Forest when Harry goes to wake Ron up and he shouted something about Quidditch fouls as he gets woken up. That's hilarious. I want to see something like that in the show. Um. And then they say it a little or they they do this in the film a little bit where um, they uh, the fear of Voldemort's name. But it's one of those it's kind of like the co- one of the cop out things that they do where it's like once a movie. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of like, oh, don't say Voldemort. But like I well, I'm curious listeners who watch the films and haven't read the books the whole you're not allowed to say Voldemort's name like how how much of a sense of that being a huge taboo issue do you get when you're just watching the films because i feel like they flatten it a lot in the films and they just add it in there because they know that they're supposed to because the like in this chapter there were multiple times in that one conversation that ron was like stop saying voldemort and yeah it shows up so much more often in the books and it's often really funny how like people are 
it's like clear how ridiculous it is. You know, J.K. Rowling writes it so that it's she she makes sure that the readers know that like you shouldn't be afraid to say the name like that. You know, the larger point that she's trying to make, I think, comes across in a in a silly way with how much mm-hmm. like certain people, especially Ron's one of them, like totally freak out whenever that name gets used. And so I definitely want to see more of that explored in the shows. Well, um, and it's like Harry's not even thinking about it. He's so mm-hmm. fixated on the entire situation at hand, like the important details. Like he's not even like, it's not even like a passing thought of, oh, I shouldn't be saying this name. He just says it. And that's yeah. what's making Ron uncomfortable. It's just like, stop saying the name, please. Like you're freaking me out. So I don't, I, it's, you definitely bring up a good point that I had thought about when I read the book. So, um, and then my last thing is I love, the uh, foreshadowing of Hermione saying that fortune telling is an imprecise branch yes. branch of magic. I love how yes. that becomes a huge thing mm-hmm. later on. It's foreshadowing. <laughs> well, let's get into our peeves pleasure. James, will you start us off, please? Uh uh yeah i mean yes i can start yes <laughs> sorry um peeves pleasure was a little bit difficult for this one not to say that the movie didn't do anything good uh i just at this point there's so many details in the book that it makes me sad that it didn't make it into the movie Beforehand, it was really easy to like see some of the good things because the, the, there wasn't there wasn't a lot. It felt like it was left out, or they chose really well what they were what they were like observing. This time, though, when it's like the last couple of chapters, and I'm sure I'm going to feel this way for the next two, the last two chapters after this. But like, it's so hard to like just so uh, go. Oh, they did it really well in this area that as an adaptation, but. Uh, if I had to choose, mine would be Ferenz, the centaur, showing up and kind of being that sophisticated character that we all love out of him. And he, he, it's like one of those one of those times where the character kind of literally just jumps out of the book in a sense. I'm not sure they got the description right though because it says he was a palomino and i don't think palominos were the color that they showed in the movie but either way like nitpicks aside i really liked how they put him together i i really liked the actor who was playing him and had and had done his um done the acting really regret not seeing him being able to come back and participate a little bit more um not to mention that he's supposed to be a total heartthrob. They don't mention that in this book, but they do in the later books. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, uh, that to say, I don't think that this particular um, rendition of him is necessarily hot, heartthrobby. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they definitely went in a different direction with that. <laughs> Again, they didn't know that at this point in time. Yeah. <laughs> um, Meeks, your pleasure? Uh, my pleasure is how um, 
how they did the scene, the two scenes um, between like when Harry is talking to Ferenzi and um, about Voldemort in particular. Um, well, I guess that whole scene when they start to see Voldemort, even though I don't think it's like a, a perfect adaptation, obviously it's not like page for page exactly what happened. But um, I think overall, when you're watching the film, it feels um, it, uh, it feels magical, but like a dangerous magical. I think that they they really get that point across of the Forbidden Forest being freaky and dangerous and, um, you know, full of unknown magic. And then when he's talking with Frenzy about like about Voldemort being he's like leading Harry to the conclusion that Voldemort's the one who's uh, who mm-hmm. slayed the unicorn, you know, slain, slayed, slain, slayed, slainted. Slainted the Slainted. <laughs> <laughs> I think that they I think they did a really good job with with turning that into a film. Um and I also like the the short scene with um the adaptation of the short scene of Filch getting really like excited about yes. the kids being punished. I, you, he's not really excited in the film. His character doesn't really get excited, but I think that he did such a good job. The actor did such a good job of playing a grumpy, mean caretaker. And yeah, yeah I think I just think they did a good job with that scene. I had not written anything down because like James said, there wasn't really too much great about this portion of the adaptation. But um, talking about the actor that plays Filch, I'm going to go ahead and steal that one because I agree. He did really well. Not so much like you said, the being happy about the like torment of it all, but the eye rolling at Hagrid and the talking to Draco. And I just thought that he really nailed Filch as a character in this moment. Moving on to Peeves Peeves. James, what was your Peeves Peeve? Where to choose? Which one to choose? I don't know. Uh, sorry, listeners. I don't mean to pull your leg. There, there was a lot good about it. There's also some stuff that just makes me upset a little bit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'd have to go with my piece. Piece would have to be not like is the time difference. Uh, feeling like you're just jumping into detention right as you get caught kind of makes me feel like like time isn't passing by like this is all happening within a matter of like a week because uh, I watched the f- I, I, I ruined it for myself really I watched the film now and I feel like it, the, all of this happens very quickly there's like no time skip unless it's very apparent like oh it's Christmas now by the way what like that did not feel like a couple of months went by like so to to i i want yeah it's weird that it took a while for them to get detention but i want that time to like fester and like have that opportunity to like let them kind of regret what they did exactly but they didn't they just got trouble and now they're outside all of them going to like going with Hagrid it felt like it I can see where it kind of feels like it was the same night almost even though I know it was it felt like more of like the next day really but because I mean obviously Norbert's not there 
it mm-hmm. made it look like some time had passed. But either way, it makes me upset that we can't you can't differentiate the time passages. It just you're you're really leaving it up to the audience to def- decipher how much time is going on because it's you're not doing a really good job. For multiple parts, multiple parts up till now, like I'm talking about everything. Like I just can't watch the movie without thinking to myself, this is this is going by too fast. Like there's no time to react to what's going on for the characters more than me, but maybe also me. Meeks, what was your peeves, peeve? the freaking CGI they did for the centaur um, and how they just adapted that. I think that, I mean, I don't know if they just didn't have the, the abilities, CGI abilities. I am not a CGI master. So I, you know, it's hard for me to like really give my input, but I just feel like I remember when they first showed the centaur and I was like, that's what they did for him i don't know it just seemed like they tried Mm -hmm. to kind of like make him look more like spooky and dark and like mysterious thing when i feel like that has or maybe they were just trying to do something different because i feel like in the books the way that the centaurs were described and then also in the chapter art for centaurs like they seem like what I have always imagined centaurs looked like or whenever I've seen them in other types of fantasy stories where they exist. And so maybe in the film, Christopher Columbus was wanting to, or whoever was in charge of that, I would imagine he had a say in it. Um, Maybe they were, I don't know, trying to go in a different direction and make a different type of centaur, or maybe that's all they could do with the CGI. I don't know, but I remember being shocked as like a, you know, nine-year-old or whenever, when did this movie come out? 2001. Yeah, as like a nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. I remember being like, that's that's the direction they chose to go with? Okay, so anyways, that's my peeve. Mm. I also had a lot of peeves about this chapter. Um, and I had written down Neville being cut. Um, but I think we've already talked so much about that in this episode and past episodes. Um, then I'm going to say this instead, that Harry seeing the figure walking before they even get into the forest. Like, they had just gotten into the forest and they're starting to split up. And he notices the figure walking. It's not in the film. I mean, it was not in the book. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's so random. It's like, hello, Hagrid's right there. You're not going to be like, I just saw this random figure walking in the woods. Like, what? (laughs) So that addition is just baffling. And that is my piece, Steve. Salute, Weasley, salute. Who are we saluting today, James? Or what, when, where, why? What, when, where, why? Hmm. What to salute? I I mean, listeners, you got to understand, I normally have my salutes ready to go, but I read, literally read the chapter like five minutes before we did this, so I haven't let it all settle. But mm-hmm. uh, if I had to choose a salute right off the bat, I would salute... Hermione. Mm. Um, Because even though she went through a very difficult time being in trouble for the first time ever, like officially Mm -hmm. in trouble, because the whole thing with the troll doesn't count. She she was standing up for Ron and Harry because they saved her life and she was doing them a favor. She she didn't feel it bad about that at all, I'm sure. But like 
this is the first time she's really done something that crossed her lines, like really mm. went against something that that she so heartily believes in. And yet, even though she is feeling all of that shame, she just puts her head up, holds her head up high, continues to do what's important to her, studies like there's nothing else in the world and gets Harry and Ron involved and is continuing to just pass those exams. And, you know, surprise, spoiler alert, she passes all her exams with fine colors. Like, in the end, like, you, you, you gotta give her credit where credit's due. This girl just knows how to keep her priorities straight, even though she's experiencing things that need time and attention. Like, that's 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 a lot to experience for an 11 year old girl i can imagine uh and yet she she's so determined to do well as a as a muggle-born witch to show that she is she can do the impossible she 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 can break barriers she can she can do what all these other people have had the privilege of seeing happen all the time and yet she's taking it and just over overachieving and overachieving can be not so healthy in some periods of time but i think in this time period like it's in this time frame for this particular moment i think it's amazing how much dedication she's putting into her role into the, this new world that she's experiencing and I could go on and on and on, but I think that's in of itself just one one of my favorite parts about re rereading this is seeing her prove everybody else wrong that she can do hard things and she can accomplish all the stuff. Meeks, who's your salute? Funnily enough, the cloak being returned to Harry. Um, I didn't have like a a major major big salute like i feel in some of the other chapters i feel like this this chapter didn't have a whole lot of major emotions going on like what we've or character growth compared to other ones but i love i always love that cloak return because i in i've always imagined it being that dumbledore knew what was going on and returned it i mean even b before we knew it was dumbledore it was like a mystery but now that we know obviously that dumbledore was the one who gave him the cloak um i i just love that it's i don't know that he's like always looking <laughs> out and even though he's a puppet master and orchestrating harry to do lots of dangerous things you know it's kind of complicated but um i mean like how crazy would that be if you were in Harry's position and you had, you like knew that you had forgotten this cloak and I don't know that it was out there and you knew that it was super special. And then all of a sudden it like mysteriously, you don't even know how you got it in the first place. And then it like magically shows back up on your right. bed, you know? So I just feel like it's a, it's a fun little mystery. And now that, you know, as we've read the whole series and we know so much more about what's going on, it, it becomes more layered and, ha and it has a lot more stuff packed behind it. But And of course, Dumbledore moment. is keeping tabs on mm -hmm. the invisibility cloak. Like, mm -hmm. why wouldn't he be? I'll just let that dangle for all the listeners to be like, who don't know what I'm talking about and be like, what is he talking about? Like, what? <laughs> You'll find out. You'll find out. 
So, you guys, I'm cheating big time this week on my Weasley salute because it does not have <gasps> anything to do with the chapter. And it really doesn't have anything to do with this book. <laughs> um, but it's something that happened that I'm super excited about. And Migs, I think you're the one that sent me this interview. Um, but Barbie is this big thing. Hi, Barbie. And so, <laughs> hi, Barbie. Margot Robbie is being interviewed, of course. Well, I guess she was before the actor strike. But um, I somebody had asked her something along the lines of what does she really nerd out about? And she had said Harry Potter. And Ryan Gosling had asked, like, how big of a Harry Potter nerd is she? And she said that she also listens to the CDs to fall asleep. And I was like, oh, my God, she's me. Because if you remember, back in our introduction episode, I also listened to Harry Potter to fall asleep. So I was just super excited that Margot Robbie and I are now besties. However, she does listen to Stephen Fry. I listen to Jim Dale. So Ooh. slight difference oh, there. Oh, boy. I know. Maybe not complete besties. No, we're besties. <laughs> Frenemies. I think we're all besties. <laughs> Friendlies. Now, new goal, get her to listen to our podcast. Oh, yes. Yeah. Margot Robbie, if you're listening, hi. Yeah. I sleep to Harry Potter, too. Thanks for listening, Margot. Um, if Barbie was amazing. <laughs> Margot's not listening and any of you listeners are friends with her, please help a Barbie out and get her to listen. <laughs> She's obviously a fan of Harry Potter. So, she, obviously so she needs to, know to about listen. Our podcast. We'd love to have you on as a guest, Margo. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it. We'll move some things around. We'll allow you to come on. To have your people call our people. <laughs> <laughs> my, my people is five. So, you know... <laughs> My agent is five years old, people. My <laughs> agents are five pets that are in my house, so. Uh, my age, my agents, I guess, are three and one. <laughs> Almost two. <laughs> anyway, yep, that was my, that's my salute. Awesome. <laughs> Margo. Uh, so any final thoughts before we hop off here and say salut? Nope. I, this is definitely a full episode. Yeah, I think I'm good. Who knew that we had this much to talk about in this episode? I know. I mean, it's on par with our normal episodes, and I thought this was going to be a really quick, quick one. Mm -hmm. we well, have so much thank you for causing havoc with us today. Next time, we will be discussing Chapter 16, Through the Trap Door. That is an hour and 50 minutes to uh, two hours and six minutes, almost seven minutes. James, where can everybody find you? Go to James M. Beltran for Instagram or TikTok, and there you'll find me. Boom. Easy. <laughs> and you can find me um, mainly on Instagram at Megan, M-E-G-A-N underscore Lachowski, L-A-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. And from there, you can find all the other projects that I'm a part of. And you can find me, Sarah Day, on Instagram at Captain.McD. That's M-C-D-E-E. -E. And just like me, because you can find my other activities linked there. And you can follow the podcast on Instagram and TikTok at PeevesGabFest. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and leave us a five-star review, please, if you're as mischievous as we are. If you have any feedback, we love to hear it. So please leave us a voicemail at 409-422-3378. That's 409-GABFEST. Or you can email us at peevesgabfest at gmail.com. And join the discussion. We already mentioned it in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash peevesgabfest. Or you can just search peevesgabfest. Until next time, Ickle Fursies. Bye.